0: Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Mary, Art on the air today. Stay in the know with Mary and Esther. Art on the air our way. Express yourself through art and show the yourself you are, and show the world
1: And welcome. You're listening to Art on the Air on WVLP 103.1 FM and on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. This is our weekly program covering arts and arts events in Valparaiso and throughout Northwest Indiana. I'm Larry Breckner of New Perspectives Photography, right alongside here with Esther Golden of The Nest in Michigan City.
2: Aloha, everyone.
1: We're your hosts for Art on the Air. Our theme music you heard is by Billy Foster with a vocal by Renee Foster. Underwriters for Art on the Air are Valparaiso University's Brower Music. Museum, regional art patron Mary Levan and our landlord Walt Breidinger, of Paragon Investments. If you'd like to find out more about leasing space in this historic building, please give Walt a call 219-462-5821. i would like to thank them for their generous support. Thanks to Greg Kovach, WVLP's station manager, and Tom Maloney, Vice President Radio Operations for Lakeshore Public Radio. Art in the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project grant through South Shore Arts and is part of the National Endowment for the Arts. If you're interested in being a guest or sending us information about your arts, arts arts-related event or exhibit, please email us at artontheair, wvlp, at gmail.com. That's artontheair, wvlp, at gmail.com. Our program, along with all of our programs, are streaming live at wvlp.org. Art on the Air is rebroadcast on Monday at 5 p.m. Our shows are carried by Lakeshore Public Radio, 89.1 FM, every Sunday at 7 p.m., and you can hear them at lakeshorepublicradio.org. Our entire show archive can be heard at our website, breck.com A-O-T-A. That's breck, B-R-E-C-H dot com A-O-T-A. And make sure to like us on our Facebook page, Art on the Air, WVLP. Art in the Air is always looking for financial support. We'd like to thank our current supporters. If you're looking to support Art in the Air and, of course, the WVLP station, we'd be happy to come part of the WVLP family anytime. Esther and I especially would invite you to become an underwriter of this program in particular. We have information on our website at breck.com slash AOTA. You can find out support information there or at wvlp.org slash support. So don't just be a WVLP and Art on the Air listener. Become a supporter or underwriter in whatever amount you're able to do so so we continue to bring you this great content and this great local programming. And like I say every week, don't give till it hurts. Give till it feels good. And you'll feel so good about supporting Art on the Air and the whole WVLP family. Join the WVLP family today. And next on Art on the Air Spotlight, we have Roger Batten, who's been with us before, talking about his sessions on My Path Bibliotherapy. Tell us what's going on, Roger.
3: Okay, MyPath is just wrapping up tonight our first online Zoom workshop and it's uh, based on the first layer of story and uh, that, that workshop wraps up tonight and then coming up on Friday, July 17th at 7.30 Eastern Daylight Time we have our very first Zoom Storytelling show, and the ten participants of the workshop will be going um, on live on Zoom to uh, tell their their story about their first layer uh, experience.
2: Can you talk about what that first layer means?
3: Yeah, the the first layer comes from the um, philosophy on which my path bibliotherapy is founded. And the five layers are, um, the first layer is the world that we're born into. And all of us come into the world with the language of the universe in us. And when we're born, then we become a part of the physical world. And we begin to learn the consensual meaning of language and the uh, meaning that the other humans around us give our world and that's what we explore it's about the time of of birth and what was happening in the world when you're born what's happening with your caregivers your family your parents whoever they were that is a a chance to go back and um, dig into the roots of your story that is the roots of story for all humans and we don't Necessarily give that too much attention or thought, but we start right there, and then we move on into the second layer, and uh, that is uh, the time of life that we have uh, before we uh, reach adolescence. You see, in the first two layers, um, we our stories are given to us. We don't. We're not agents in our story. We're not creating our own story. And that, that uh, um, understanding what was happening and how uh, what story was given to us is incredibly important to understanding how we uh, function in the world today. That inner voice that we're born with, after we um, adapt over to the consensual meaning, meaning of language, it becomes our intuition or our inner voice, or some people may say gut feeling, but it. It's always with us and uh, as, as we grow into puberty we become more and more agents in our in our own story creation. Our last workshop that we did um, in uh, the um, uh, March live workshop or live storytelling show was that we um, we talked about the uh, spirits in the night song of Bruce Springsteen it was the first time that kids go out in the world and they try on some adult things. And um, that's the transition into the third layer. And the third layer is uh, where we're out becoming agents of our story. The fourth layer is where we begin to mature and begin to tell our story to the world. When we have children, we inform our children and we teach other people uh, about Their lives. So then the fifth story is a story that we wake up, the fifth layer is a story that we wake up with every day. And that's all based on the uh, four preceding stories. So that's, we're planning to go through the workshops layer by layer. And uh, people can sign up on the website, mypath.center, and uh, you can become a certified storyteller. When you pass through all five layers, you become a certified. My path, pathfinder, storyteller.
2: Can you tell them the dates of the next two workshops? Because you're going to run some. Uh, you're going to run the first layer again.
3: Right on um, Monday, July twentieth, we're kicking off the second layer at seven p.m. And on Thursday, July twenty third, at seven p.m., we're kicking off another round of the first layer for people who want to get started. We're going to run the first layer continuously. And so, um, it's
2: seven, though, Eastern Standard, right? It's six PM Central Standard. That's right. And okay. we
3: do have people chiming in from places like Texas and Georgia and Kansas now, too. So, you know, it's, uh, it's been exciting transitioning them to the virtual world, but we're having a very good response and, uh, looking forward to having more and more people, uh, process through their five layers of story.
1: We appreciate you being thank back you, on, uh, uh, promoting uh, this uh, wonderful storytelling event, and you can contact it. We'll have information on us. So Roger Batten from MyPath, uh, dot Center, you can find information about his upcoming things and uh, whatever going on. Thank you for being on Art in the Air Spotlight.
3: Thank you, Larry, and thank you, Esther, both for allowing me to um,
1: participate
3: in this today.
1: You're listening to Art on the Air, WVLP, 103.1 FM, and on Lakeshore Public Radio, 89.1 FM. And now our guests on Art on the Air are Tom Torlimpke and Linda Dorman. Uh, Tom was born in Chicago, but he's an Indiana-based contemporary American artist. He's uh, been practicing his art for over 40 years, uh, painting, drawing, sculpture, installations, a variety of mediums. And Linda is a curator who I had the privilege of working with at the Center for Visual Performing Arts, has a BA in photography from Columbia College. During her years there, she blossomed, in, and now she manages Tom's studio. Welcome to Art on the Air.
2: Hello. Hello. Hi. Welcome.
1: Thanks
4: a lot for having us.
1: <laughs> Glad to have you. Well, Tom, let's first talk with about your journey from uh, where you were to how you got to you, where you are now. Kind of that whole big background from where you were born, where you went to school, and everything.
4: Wow, that's a that's a long story. I'm going to give you the abbreviated version. Um, so, like you said, born in Chicago on a near on the near North Side. Um, I uh, I actually grew up in. A, Quite a household, Uh, interesting things went on in my household.
2: Artistically Um, or?
4: My dad, what? Artistic? uh, No, not artistically, (laughs) just uh, a whole cast of characters. It really informed how I think about things and why I deal with people so much in my art. You know, like, so um, my my father was kind of a crazy guy, hard to control. He was like, maybe not the best father father figure. (laughs) My mom really held the house together. Um, but the one thing my dad did, he was a magician, and he used to practice. This was like above and beyond other sorts of odd jobs he would do. He used to practice at home, and like this is just one example. One time I'm like 10 years old or something, I come home, maybe younger, I think seven, come home. My father has my mother in a horizontal box, and he's like cutting her in half. <laughs> and They didn't warn me that this was going to go on. So... So of course, it was a magic trick, you know. My mom survived that whole episode. Um, and then I was watched a lot or babysat by my great-uncle Freddie, who lived upstairs. It was a three-flat. And he was uh, deaf and mute, and he didn't read lips or do sign language or anything. And he watched me a lot. So we had to communicate to each other. So the way we did it is we drew pictures back and forth. I drew a little picture, and then he drew a little picture, I drew a little picture. And then he was like, interesting that he advanced his drawing as my age advanced. In the beginning, it was stick figures, then it was like geometric figures, then it was actual figures. So he advanced his style of drawing with my age. So, so he taught me from an early age how to communicate through art, through through drawing. That is so Um,
2: beautiful.
4: Yeah. That's that. That's cool story. I think. And, um, and then I, uh, cause all kinds of stuff would go on in the house. My mother was, my grandmother was agoraphobic. She couldn't go out. She didn't go outside. So she'd go down to get the newspaper and she would crack the door open a little bit and stick a broom out there, scoot the newspaper towards (laughs) the door and then pick it up. And then, uh, my grandfather, he he had an accident happen to him. He worked at International Harvester, and it was a work accident, a big metal uh, punch press plate fell on his head, and he survived it, but he was never the same. He was a little simple after that, so he used to go walking through the streets and everything, and people used to sort of make fun out of, of him, but although he was a very wonderful man, so These sorts of things shaped me in the way I view people and this sort of being able to jump out of myself and put myself in their shoes and stuff like that. So that's pretty much why I um, uh, deal with people a, a lot in my art.
2: It explains so much because I can see those experiences in your art, you know, just in your style. It really makes, it really makes sense.
4: Yeah, thanks. It, it does. And, uh, and of course life in general, just, uh, there's no shortage of, uh, information for an artist who maybe started like that, you know? So then, you know, I, I, uh, you have various odd jobs and stuff. And I, I always wanted to go to the art Institute, but I couldn't afford to go to the art Institute. So I went to the American Academy of art, which I think was a good thing, sort of a trade school, two years. And, uh, and I got my associate's degree and I, I just started making, making art and realizing that I was sort of at a deficit because the education was very, uh, very short and quick. So I was fortunate as I got this job working at the Evanston Public Library, and I was a custodian there. And they happened to have an incredible art collection of books in the library. So after I cleaned the library, I spent the rest of the evening uh reading those books. Uh so I because they didn't have art history actually at the school that I went to. So I, I learned all that stuff on my own. And then I just uh um started to paint, 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 paint like crazy. So and who then-
2: did who were who did you gravitate toward in those books? Was there an artist that really captured
4: um, um I'd say well, Van Gogh was a very early inspiration. And then uh, I gravitated pretty quickly to uh, um, sort of sociopolitical uh, artists, uh, Otto Dix, George Gross, uh, Goya. I think, um, you know, it was just the, them trying to uh, tackle and deal with how outside influences from the world affect us. You know, political leaders, religious leaders, uh, the body politic—how it all like affects, really affects us deeply. You know, like it could be tragic or it could be wonderful.
1: Very good. Hey, let's uh so, jump to um, let's jump to Linda for a minute, and get her uh, background, and uh, tell us a little bit about your uh, story as you come through.
5: Um, I think actually, well, I grew up in Dalton on the South side of Chicago and in a suburb and I very uneventful childhood compared to Tom's. So it would be interesting I think for you to hear about the first time I went to see a show of Tom's because this is how I met him and um, I went to a show that an exhibition that he had in Chicago I went with uh, John Kane and one of our board members when I was working at the Arts Center and they were kept telling me about this artist that lived in northwest indiana and you should hear it know about him and and i had never heard of him and we went to the show and i just was blown away um really affected me uh the artwork was very dramatic and bright and had all these really like crazy scenes going on and i was just like whoa i i was speechless and um and we ended up going out for lunch that day, and he told a bunch of stories about his past. And I was, for someone like myself who had a very, like, regular, normal, average upbringing, hearing all these stories about, about him and his family and everything really intrigued me. So it was very very uh, illuminating time. And, and that was just the very first time I met him. I didn't see him again for many months months later. But um, then he got hired at the art center when I was working there and, and then, and then I didn't like him. But that's a whole other story.
2: That sounds like an interesting story though. Yeah.
5: So yeah, so anyhow, um, his, his artwork and the way he views, you know, interprets feelings and emotions and everything in his artwork was just very inspirational to me and it really affected me deeply.
1: But tell us a little bit about yourself still uh, for great, our audience.
5: As great artwork does. I, well, and, and so when we, got, when we finally got together, we opened a gallery together. We had a gallery for seven years. I've done lots of different things. I don't usually really like to talk about myself too much. Um, but I worked at the Art Center for five years, curated lots of exhibitions there. Before that, I was a photographer at the Field Museum and worked as a lab technician, lab technician there and whatnot. I've had a lot of really interesting experiences um, curating shows. I, I did a whole bunch of uh, exhibitions for a project called City 2000. That was a documentary project in Chicago in the year 2000. And I got to work with over 100 like amazing, some of them very famous photographers. It was really, really fun to, to work on that project. I was the lead curator on that project. So I've done a lot of things. And then we had our gallery together. And since we closed the gallery, we work on Tom's studio. I'm his, his studio manager. And we also curate shows together. And I've curated some shows on my own also since, uh, since we closed our gallery. So I, work with, I love working with artists and photographers and organizing shows and all that sort of stuff.
1: Very good. Well and then recently we I know
2: and all that's changing now. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well and recently you guys after being together for what, nineteen years, got married.
5: Yep.
4: Yeah. That <laughs> was very exciting. Yeah. That just happened a little bit restrictive with uh, with the uh, COVID nineteen, but it was an exciting time.
5: Yeah. Marriage in the age of COVID, all distanced and part of it was on Zoom, so people from out of town could watch and and friends that didn't want to be around people. And, and we had a very small group of people for the wedding and just, we tried to uh, adjust to the, to what was going on in, in the world.
1: Briefly tell us a little bit how a COVID-19 affected you both as well artists and some people uh, flourish during it and others feels very restrictive, but tell us about your journey during this pandemic.
4: Yeah, it's uh um, It's hard to, it's hard to get used to just in general. I think I don't know if all different uh, kinds of artists are affected, deal with it the way that I've been able to deal with it. I think visual artists have a little bit easier road sometimes because they're very isolated. They're very solitary. Usually they're in the studio alone a lot. So in many cases, it's, it's not a big change. However, for me, that that was true, but I do miss some things quite a bit. Like I re- realize now how much I miss going to the Art Institute, like I'm a frequent visitor there, and really uh, informs my work, affects me, and 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 I I really I really miss it. And then I really do miss sharing ideas and looking at uh, colleagues' friends' artwork. You know, we, I would go somewhere to visit a studio or they'd come over to the, the house over here and visit the studio. And, and even though we didn't do that all that often, it's still the several times that I would have done it during this period of time, I really miss it.
2: So, I know taking the taking that option out of the equation, even if it wasn't going to happen, really is it really affects you? you know, yeah. To know that we have these limitations.
4: And I, I wasn't I didn't expect that coming, you know. Um, so how about how does it affected you, Linda?
5: I like talking on the phone, so I call a lot of my friends. I try to call somebody almost every day, they just just to shoot the breeze and, you know, connect with someone besides him. And, uh, and 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 one of the nice things was, is that we were planning our wedding during this. So I, I had a nice distraction for a while there just to like, yeah, so we were planning the wedding during this and that was fun. And I've been, uh, I've been uh, writing a book for the past couple of years and I've been now that the wedding's over, I've jumped back into it. I kind of took a little break from it, and now I'm, I'm jumping back into it. Can you
2: tell us about I'm, the book?
5: Yeah, it's actually a memoir. Um, it's about my life with Tom <laughs> since we've been together. And I, I've got, I don't know, 250 pages or something written. So, wow. um,
2: so it's well on its way.
5: Yeah, it's well on its way way so I'm just doing some like final chapter stories of things that I remember that, Oh, I should have put that in there. And I'm writing story, short stories right now to like weave into it. So that's been, a, that's been a lot of fun.
2: Probably revisiting all those memories too are wonderful oh. as well. Yeah. I'm going through a similar writing project and, and it's unlocking so many interesting things, you know, and, and from the perspective as you have had a long history together, when you revisit, you see it with the, the current eyes, which is yeah. a whole—it's like adding another dimension to it as well.
5: Yeah, it's real it's a cool interesting. Process. Yeah, it's been—it's been a really cool process. So I'm—I'm
2: I'm excited to be back working on it again. What's your input in it, Tom? Do you have any? I mean, have you heard any of it yet, or? Oh
4: yeah, I've read everything so far. Uh, some things. A couple times, and a lot of input because after she, you know, usually if she's writing, a, she seems to have been putting it together like in short story form, and then weaving the stories together. So once she finishes a short story, or even halfway through, she'll read it to me, and then uh, give input and talk. We'll talk about it, and then after it's completed, she'll read it and then talk about it, and then it's a back and forth. Um, process and it's, it's been a joy for me to uh, uh, like see our lives through her eyes like that. It's it's interesting because some of the ways she puts emphasis on different things has been a surprise to me.
2: And so, uh, so when did you start this? Because it's kind of interesting that this is going through and then and I you know I don't know your history but the marriage um, I mean, has it brought you closer even, this process of writing the book? Yeah. Yeah, I th- I don't know.
5: I mean, we've always been pretty tight. You know, we do everything together. But uh, I started working on this, it was two years ago in July. So uh, it's been two years I've been writing it. And uh, yeah, but it's been nice because, like you said, it's kind of like traveling in time and just revisiting all these experiences that we've had together. And it's, it's cool. And it's a good thing that we have, like, I I take care of our CVs, because I'm like, what year did this happen? And I'm able to like, look and see when things happen and make sure that when I'm telling the story, I am big into chronology. So I want to make sure that it works, that it's chronological. And this is so exciting.
4: Well, it's been a great uh, joy for me to see um, how fulfilled She seems to be while doing this, even though it's a big it's a struggle, you know, doing it, but it seems as though she's like extremely satisfied with uh, with how full that whole process is. And and that's made me uh, close. You know, like she says, we're really close all the time. I mean, but this somehow brings our minds even closer together, which is really fun for me.
2: I know. And I'm speaking also from personal. That's what I'm experiencing as well. It's like to revisit this in such a vivid way, because I I mean, I remember the smells and what I was wearing and like really details. And to have that come back again is like a vacation.
1: Well, one project I always was kind of interested in is you were doing a series of sketches blindfolded. Tell us about that and how that worked out. I don't know if you ever exhibited those, but you used to post them online. Tell us about that process
4: yeah so um, so I have been drawing I've been drawing with my eyes closed for quite some time before I even uh, started to like bring it into my whole like regular practice of making art. so, in other words, I guess I was practicing. I used it <laughs> before I would go to sleep, I would draw with my eyes closed and 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 I realized through doing that that I was able to get unbridled to subject matter and ideas about dreams or memories or things, especially as it relates to drawing people, unencumbered because with my eyes closed, I couldn't, um, I, I wasn't worried about anatomy. I wasn't worried about correct perspective. I wasn't worried about anything, just the emotion of whatever was coming out of me. So that did lead to a contribution in my regular practice like all the time. And many of my paintings now, I just draw it with my eyes closed first and then paint it with my eyes open af- afterwards.
2: Well, what's amazing is that you are equally talented in all these different disciplines, no matter what you do, whether it's installation, whether it's collage, whether it's painting or drawing. Um, and, and personally, I also like to you know, I explore many different things. I am not just one thing wouldn't make me completely satisfied or happy. And so, But is there one of those disciplines that you gravitate? And obviously it's painting, but maybe I'm speaking about another one of the practices.
4: Yeah, I probably do gravitate uh, towards painting more, and I especially am somehow fond of making watercolors. Uh, it's very enjoyable for me to do that. Um, but the reason I do a variety of things, like you said, one is to stay interested all the time. And I think of art as a continual sort of play and exploration. So I try not to have any rules for myself. Um, and it's not that I'm, like, super skilled in all of those things or anything. It's only like I I really enjoy uh, exploring all those different things.
2: And it's also a springboard. One is a springboard to the next, so it really is sort of a mind refresher to... Go to other disciplines.
4: It stops me from uh, uh, becoming too uh, familiar with something. And then all of a sudden, if if I get like, if I start to get too good at doing something, it turns into something else. It turns into a product. It gets artificial. The reasons for making it aren't there. The energy's not there. So as soon as I start feeling that, I stop and go to something else where I feel uh, awkward at it.
2: So, do you have any commissions coming up? Are you still doing? Do you have any murals in the works, or how is?
4: Um, no, not right now. Um, we worked on a big project that we were trying to get. We we didn't get it. Um, and I have a show coming up. It's it's a group show at um, the Ed Paschke Center next year. It had been it had been pushed further away because of COVID. Um, it's the title is because it feels so good when I stop. Put on by Mary Lou. Zelazny, and um, it's a group show. So that's coming up next year. That's all we have cooking.
1: Do you miss uh, exhibiting? I mean, uh, because this is really shut down the process of exhibiting.
4: Yeah, that's a big issue. That's a Yes, yes, it's a big problem, you know, because I just show the work to Linda. <laughs>
1: By the way, Linda, how does that work uh-huh. being the uh, uh, studio manager for your own husband and partner?
5: Um... Yeah, we're going to have to work on my cut now that we're married. I don't know how that's going to go, but <laughs> no, every, it, it's good. You know, I like managing the projects. So when he gets a commission or whatever, I handle getting all the supplies, dealing with the contracts, any sort of subcontracting. I, I do all that sort of stuff and I like doing it. It's fun. And I've always enjoyed being working with him in this capacity. You know, I do his website, I do his social media, and it's just, um, I enjoy it a lot.
4: Does everything.
1: Yeah. Dale Popovich has that relationship with Marilee. She does his whole website and everything like that. Hey, Linda, real quick, are you doing anything artistically or with your photography?
5: You know, I don't, the only photography that I do is sort of documenting my life with Tom and my son, and, um... That's I find a lot of pleasure in doing that, but I don't do anything sort of competitively or trying to exhibit my work or whatever. That's sort of taken a backseat, not for any other reason that I'm just not really interested in doing it right now. Is the photography going
2: to appear in your book?
5: Yeah, yes. Yeah, it will be in the book and his artwork will be in the book in, in the vision that I have for it.
1: Yeah. Well, we only have about a minute left. Uh, Tom, tell us a little bit about uh, your TED Talk that you did for Purdue University.
4: Yeah, so that was exciting and uh, very scary. A lot of prep work. You go over it and over it and over it, time after time again, you know. And then I had I had like a 20-minute talk, and it was cut down to 15 minutes, 10 minutes, and then 8 minutes. I don't know, all the time. was
5: Yeah, so they kept cutting it down. I
4: had to really get it succinct. And, uh, and it was fun doing it, and I was able to express my excitement about art. And, 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 and how even to this day, I'm, I'm like more excited about art than I've ever been in my whole life. So uh, I tried to get that cross in that talk, and I don't know if it happened or not.
1: Well, I think that's all the time we have for you guys. Tom Torlempke, uh Chicago-born artist in Northwest Indiana, and Linda Dorman, uh, who is a studio manager. Thank you so much for being on Art Thank on you. the Air.
5: Thanks, guys.
4: And thank you, Larry and Esther. Thank you so much. You're listening
1: to Art on the Air, WVLP 103.1 FM, and on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. And now on Art on the Air, we have Lisa Colleen. She's a lifelong writer, storyteller, teacher, and coach in a variety of settings with diverse groups of people. Dedicated supporting adults and children toward increasing their self-knowledge and identification in their goals in order to live healthy, productive lives. Lisa, welcome to Art on the Air.
2: Well, thanks. I'm thrilled to be here. Aloha, Lisa.
1: Well, Lisa, tell us a little bit about your, uh, your personal journey, how you got from where you were to where you are now. A little bit about your background.
6: Well, I've lived my entire life in the suburbs of Chicago. As a child, I moved a lot, so I lived in a lot of different suburbs, which was fantastic because I met so many people, and which means I have so many stories to tell. And recently, I left the Burbs. And I'm now living in Chicago. I moved down here to have a 2020 year where I would just explore like crazy. And we all know how that's going. (laughs) Still love the city, even though it's totally shut down. And if you want to know about me, the most important part of my life has always been, always will be the fact that I'm a mom and I'm a grandma. So not only do all of those people give me so much joy and happiness but they also give me a whole bunch of stories to tell.
1: Very good. Yeah, that sounds great. Well, anyway, you being a storyteller and I know you're working on a book but maybe give us maybe up front a sample of uh, your story you'd like to tell us and then we can get into, you know, you're writing the book and things like that. So tell us a little bit about the story.
6: Can you tell you one?
1: Yes, please. Go ahead and tell us a story right up front here.
6: Here I go. 23 years ago, on a sunny morning in April, I slowly walk up the steps of Schmettoe Funeral Home. I'm here to make arrangements for my older sister, Holly. With me are my dad and his young wife. And then, I wish it was just me and dad. Like Holly would definitely want it to be just me and dad. She would not want our young stepmom to have a say in any of her business. Greeted by Paul. He's tall. He's thin. He has this huge head of puppy white hair. He manages to be warm without actually smiling. I'm guessing he learned this skill at funeral director school. But Paul ushers us in into this small little room. It's got muted floral prints everywhere, on the carpet, on the drapes, on the furniture. Well, I'm wearing my current favorite dress. It's flat with small mauve flowers. I blend right into the funeral home. Now Paul gets right to business. Would you like to pick out a funeral card, he asks. She doesn't need those, says our young stepmom, and her message is crystal clear. Holly's life does not need to be remembered. But I want my sister to have a funeral card, something that officially says that she lived and died. And I hear dad say, Lisa, pick out whatever you want. So I reach across the table, and I take the book from Paul, and I whip through the pages and pages and pages of cards. Nothing seems right for Holly. We don't know our nationality, so we really can't go that route. Holly was not religious. Much more likely to punch someone in the face than to say a prayer for them. (laughs) So I quickly turned through those pages. and She would hate the frilly cards, so I went right through those. And then I see it. The perfect card. The print is bold. It's interesting. It's colorful. Some of the words are in red, which makes me think of Holly's gorgeous red, wavy hair. And the side margins, they're not straight. So it makes the words seem like they're just kind of floating on the page. And I like the free form. Well, actually, I don't. I like order. I like structure. I like straight margins. But Holly, she would like the squiggy margins. And the card says, Lord, grant me serenity to accept the things that I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can. And wisdom to know the difference. Well, right now, today, everything, everything, everything is unacceptable. And yet, I feel the wisdom in choosing acceptance. And although I'm not ready today, someday I might be. And then, yeah, serene sounds really nice. So, Paul is stumbling, he's bumbling over his words. So, either he's socially awkward. Are you shaken up dealing with the family whose 33-year-old relative is murdered. And I don't ask him which it is. But if I did, the conversation might go something like this. Are you okay, Paul? You seem rattled. Well, yes, I'm rattled. I'm used to death. I enjoy making final arrangements for people who have led long, full lives. It's an honor to help their family, send them off with love. Now, accidents, sure, they're a bit harder. They end their life too soon. But an accident is an accident. No one meant any harm. But the death of your sister has me shaken. Two people pointed guns at her, and they pulled the trigger again and again and again. So no, I'm not okay. I'm terribly, terribly sorry for your unnecessary loss. And I have no idea how to comfort you. Well, the truth is, I don't even know Paul. So maybe that's not how he feels at all. Well, there are signs of paperwork that will send Holly's body to the crematorium. Paul offers me some candy. He lifts the dome lid off of a glass bowl that's filled with white lifesavers. And I grab a fistful. I unwrap one and I pop it in my mouth. And I crunch that baby to death. And I immediately unwrap another and pop that in my mouth and crunch the holy hell out of that lifesaver. Now this question, I do ask out loud. Paul, is this funeral director humor? And the poor guy gives me a blank look. Life savers, I explain. Like if we here, if we're here sitting in these chairs, it is clearly too late. Paul, <laughs> uh, horrified. Like I think this is hilarious, but I'm way too tired to laugh. Crying is exhausting, and I am exhausted probably dehydrated she off her water blood so we wrap up the unnecessary paperwork and Paul ushers us across the hall. he stops at a closed door and he quietly says she's in here and I'm still holding out hope that this is a mistake like in my mind I picture us walking up to the dead body of a complete stranger and I'm immediately relieved at this triple event. Sure, I'm sad for the relatives of their murdered girl, but I feel relief. Holly is going to laugh like crazy when I tell her about making plans for her memorial service while she was off on some crazy adventure. I can give her one of those lovely funeral cards I just picked out. She can keep it in her wallet and pull it out every now and again for a laugh. Please don't be Holly, I think, as I take a few more steps. Right, and then left and then right, and left, and there she is, my sister. I see a hole in her cheek from a bullet. Paul did a lovely job of trying to conceal that. Kind of reminds me of a pimple that you cover up with makeup. The redness is concealed, but the bump is still visible. And that bullet hole, it makes me think about the many ways that I saw my sister be mistreated throughout her too short life. I stand next to Dad, staring at Holly. Like always, he's fashionably dressed, looks like the powerful businessman that he is. And I wish, I wish he'd put his arm around me, wish I could bury my head in his huge chest. But today, he's already way out of this comfort zone, and I'm not going to make it worse for him. And I don't cry. I just don't. Being Holly's sister, I've had so many times when I've shut off my feelings. I've actually had a lot of practice for this very moment. Plus, Dad might see my tears as a sign of weakness, and I definitely do not want him to think I'm weak. I try to comprehend that this is it. After today, I will never see your body again. I will never watch her last silently as her entire torso goes up and down. And I won't have the opportunity to be old with her. That was 23 years ago. Isn't that Enough time to just get over a tragedy? And yet, I find that I still struggle to accept that she was murdered. And the hardest part for me, it's not really that she died, but that she's still dead. It's the living without her. Like, how dare I live happily when she's dead? So this past summer, I'm at my favorite thrift store and I'm drawn to a picture with bright colors. I get closer, and I read the words on it. Lord, grant me serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things that I can, and wisdom to know the difference. I can't find my glasses, so I can't read the price tag, but surely I can afford art at the thrift. So I toss it in my cart. I get home find some glasses, and I read the small print on the back of my new picture. And guess what the artist's first name is? Holly. She's a first-grade teacher who uses art to inspire little ones to be themselves. And Oh, how oh, I wish that Holly had been my Holly's first-grade teacher. That picture hangs in my bedroom. And sometimes I can hear my sister read it to me. She doesn't read verbatim because she was not a verbatim kind of girl. Accept my death, she says. You can't change it. Be courageous. Live happily without me. I am wise enough to know that you, my little sister, deserve to be happy. And hearing these words spoken by my sister from across the divide helps me heal. Makes me feel as though she's walking right beside me on my journey to accept the unacceptable.
1: And thank you, Lisa. That was great.
2: Lisa, you are are such a powerful and compelling writer. I have a question about Holly, actually. Where were you in the world when your sister Holly died and how old was she?
6: She was 33, I was 31, and I was living this amazing life. I was a mom of three little kids, happy as all, get out, pretty much living my dream. So when she died, I don't feel like I dealt with it. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but I felt like my kids really deserved to have a mom who was there and who was happy and wasn't distracted. So I say I took out my metaphorical shovel and dug a big hole and threw in all these feelings that I couldn't handle. The, the pain, the horror, the shame, the guilt. And I kind of threw all those feelings in there and got on with life and enjoyed my days. So I'm finding now And my children are raised that I have the time to think about her and her life and her death and reconnect with her. And I'm so, so grateful to writing. I'm so grateful to storytelling. I'm so grateful to the storytelling community for helping me with this process.
1: You're listening to Art on the Air, WVLP 103.1 FM, and on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM.
2: So, has it just been. The last couple years that you've undug these memories?
6: Yes. When I started going to writing circles and writing, I'll be damned. She just popped up in every story. There she was. There she was. There she was. And it was it very surprising to me that in my not dealing with her or her death or her life and so many other things that she was right right there all the time. It didn't matter what I wrote. She showed up.
2: And so have you been able to share these stories with your family, with your children?
6: I have. Um, I have. Oftentimes when I'm writing something about her, because the truth is, she did. they didn't really know her. Her lifestyle yeah, that, I was, was uh, part of me. Yeah, I was wondering
2: that, whether they remembered her.
6: No, um, I share the stories with them now, partly so they can get to know her and partly so that they can understand me better. But I made a choice. They didn't spend a lot of time with her because her lifestyle was one that um, at the time really scared me and wasn't the kind of influence I wanted around my children, which I know I, I, I kind of struggle with it because what I just said sounds so judgy. But it was the choice I made, and it's a choice I have to live with. And I can trust that on some level she understands. Well, when you become
2: a mother, everything changes.
6: Everything.
1: <laughs> so, uh, Lisa, are these things going to develop uh, into a book of some kind? I think you're working on that, and I don't uh, far along. And it's going to talk, talk about personal journeys in your book.
6: My personal journey of writing a book.
1: Right. Uh, that the stories in your book are going to reflect your personal journeys.
6: They very much are. Um, as I started writing stories about her, I found that every time I went to go tell a story about her, I had to cut and, cut and cut and cut and cut and cut and cut and cut. There was so much to tell. I have a whole collection of memories of the two of us, and they're so wonderful for me to get to write and read because I'm finding that as I'm writing these stories of the two of us, the events aren't changing, but the way I'm seeing them change all the time. And stories that once, for me, held a whole lot of pain through the writing process have really turned into happier memories that affirm who she was, affirm who I am. And I think this sounds crazy, but I'll just go ahead and say it out loud. The writing of our stories have really helped prepare our relationship, even though one of us is alive and one of us is dead. So I think I'm giving her the gift of trying to understand her in a way that I was unable to when she was alive.
1: Did you always say uh, you know, well,
2: when you when you revisit these memories years later they take on such an added nuance because you are that much older and because I'm you know as you know I'm doing the my path workshops and so we're we're in the same place you know revisiting the origins of all of our stories and but I'm no longer an infant and so I've had many years of experience between then and now. And it really does. I mean, it's an amazing process and I'm, I can't wait. Um, I think you're pretty far along in the book. Aren't you? I
6: am. My goal is to have the first draft done by the end of this month. Wow. It would be fantastic. I would love it if a lot of people read it, but even just my children read it, I would be thrilled because again, they really get so much more insight into the person that raised them.
2: Do you have the name, the title of the book?
6: Currently it is my walk east and where this title came from. Um, you guys have never traveled with me, so you're not aware that I have the world's worst sense of direction. I mean, absolute worst. I don't, we'll just leave it at that. Absolute worst. And when I was traveling out west, I brought a whole bunch of notebooks with me because I wanted to write, but I didn't have a writing plan. And at that point in time, I would have told you, I don't have a single happy memory of my sister, but something magical happened. I sat in front of those empty notebooks with my colored pens and memories came to me that I had completely forgotten for decades. And they were happy, things that we had done together that were fun, ways that she had protected me when we were kids. And then I went to a bookstore and I found this book and it was about... Indian women and their spiritual practices. And I read about an Apache tradition, and there's just one little paragraph about it. And the paragraph explains that when a woman gets to be a certain age, she takes her walkie. She walks and walks and walks until she meets up with the child that she once was. And then she and that girl reunite and come back to life, and she's able to live a very full life connected to all the best parts of herself. And I When I was traveling west, I realized I was on my walk east, which would make perfect sense with my sense of direction. (laughs) And I realized I wasn't only meeting up with that one little girl. I was meeting up with both of us. And so what started as a way for me to remember Holly, to honor her, to let people who didn't know her know about how bold she was and how brave she was. I mean, what a badass she was. It started out for her. And through that journey, somehow it really became, in a way, more mine, which has been so empowering and really helped me feel good about who I am. And I feel like she would embrace that. Like, I feel like we're doing it together, even though I'm doing the
1: writing. You know, one question I have is, you're a teacher. Do you use storytelling in your teaching, you know, in general?
6: I do storytelling everywhere I go. And <laughs> Currently, I'm teaching junior high math students.
1: God bless and,
6: you. <laughs> And of course, you have to tell stories because selling to students on learning what I want them to learn is going to be much more successful if we have a positive relationship. So whenever I can, I throw in a little narrative vignette about my life or my interests, or I try to get them to talk about themselves because the more stories they know of mine and the more I know of theirs, the better able I am to connect math to their life and who they are. So, yes. I mean, I won't take a break from doing any calculations to tell a story.
1: Junior high and middle school is a tough age. Uh, I always said uh, having been experienced in high school I said we should send them out to uh, do uh, public service work like build roads and things like that so when they get to high school they know there's a place worse to go to. But I always bless uh, anyone that does middle school and uh, 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 junior high.
2: Well, you know, I know that you shared with me that your book is in four parts. Can you sort of tell us what those
6: four parts are? Yeah, we'd love to. The first one I call it Two Girls Walkin', and it is a collection of stories of Holly and I. And it starts when we're young and progresses until the end of her life. And then part two, I currently call Girls Still Walkin', because it's my journey of going back and revisiting all these stories. And I think of it kind of the story of the story, because as I go back, I'm finding so much beauty and so much love and some humor that I had missed the first go around. And then the third part is lessons I've learned. Because I am, I'll throw this out there, I was born on St. Pat's, making me the luckiest person that ever did live. (laughs) And great people just seem to come to me. I'm always been blessed. And so there's a section on lessons I've learned because there's been so many people, especially lately when I'm doing all this soul searching, who have really helped me learn some lessons that have set me up to be much happier. And then the fourth section is, in a way, the one I'm most excited about. It's a collection of writing exercises, and they're designed to help guide anybody who wants to take their own spiritual walk east to reconnect with who they were, and helps you remember things kind of in the way I did things that were important to you, but you maybe have forgotten. The Prompts are designed to help you reconnect with all the best parts of yourself. Maybe some that have fallen away because of our life. There's le- lessons that are in there where the goal is to release any emotions that are getting in the way of us living the life that we really truly want to live. And there's exercises in there to help reframe a memory so that, yeah, there was some pain. Yeah, maybe we wouldn't have chosen to have this happen, but you know what? I am so proud of how well I handled the situation and I can see my own bravery. So to reframe a story so that it honors who you were then and also honors who you are now. And so that part, I don't know where it's going to go. Um, I've done some teaching lately of storytelling and I'm hoping that I get an opportunity to use all of those writing prompts with other people because one of the greatest joys of my life right now is watching how storytelling heals others and empowers others and just watching that process is fascinating and such a gift.
2: It truly is. And having experienced a handful of your stories now, this book is, I'm so looking forward to this book and I can't wait to read it. Thank you. I I know. The path is a wonderful path. A difficult one, but a wonderful one to travel.
1: Before we let you go, Lisa, uh, tell us uh, you have a website, how we can uh, connect with you.
6: Oh, our website is inspiredlifelit.com and that is well, we're not doing it now, but it was a monthly storytelling show in Lockport that I hosted, co-hosted with my good friend, Barbara Everhard. and we're not sure exactly what we're doing with it next, but if you would like to go there, you can read about all the amazing storytellers that have performed at our show.
1: Well, thank you. We'd like to uh, thank Lisa Colleen for being on Art on the Air, telling us about her storytelling experience for our audience. We really appreciate it. She's a lifelong writer, storyteller, teacher, coach, and so much more. Thank you for being on Art on the Air, Lisa. Thank you, Lisa. And we'd like to thank our guests today for being on Art in the Air, which is heard every Friday at 11 a.m., reproadcast Monday at 5 p.m., and Sunday at 7 p.m. on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. Your hosts are Larry Breckner and Esther Golden. Thanks again to Greg Kovach, WVLP station manager, and Tom Maloney, Vice President, Radio Operations for Lakeshore Public Radio. Underwriters for Art in the Air are Valparaiso University's Brower Museum and Walt Breidinger of Paragon Investments. Also, Mary Levan is our art patron supporter. Art in the Air is supported by the Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant and the National Endowment for the Arts. If you're interested in being a guest or sending us information about your arts, arts-related event, exhibit, please email us at art on the air wvlp at gmail.com that's art on the air wvlp at gmail.com see you right here next week 103.1 fm and 89.1 fm art on the air
2: aloha everyone have a splendid
0: week express yourself through art and show the world your heart express yourself through art and show the world your heart you're in the know I'm Larry. Art on the air today. Stay in the know with Mary and Esther. Art on the air, our way. Express yourself, you art, and show the world your heart. Express yourself, you art, and show the world your heart. Express. Yourself